today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Cash and Carry Kitchens. At the heart of Irish homes for over 40 years. Cashandcarrykitchens.ie Email todaycb at rte.ie you're listening to an extract from Monaghan musician Jamie Duffy's genre-blending composition Solace. That went viral. It racked up 65 million streams on Spotify. And from I dreamt I dwelt in marble halls to Bill Whelan's River Dance. What are the particular ingredients of traditional and Celtic influences which gives Irish classical music its unique sound? Well, to take us through this, I'm delighted to be joined now in the studio by conductor David Brophy and Aideen Gormley, RT Lyric FM presenter. Thank you both for being with us. Now, we're going to take another clip. This is going right back to medieval times. David, this is your first one with your first clip. Let's have a listen. David, tell us what we're listening to there. You're listening to a piece called uh, Felix Hiberniam, which literally translates Latin for Happy Ireland, of all things. Uh, and it's taken from a manuscript that's in Trinity College and it's called the Clondalkin Breviam. And we don't know who exactly wrote it, but we reckon it was written here somewhere in Ireland. And it was from the Matins for celebrating the feast of St. Bridget, the 1st of February, which so, we just so passed. Possibly dating back to Dating medieval back to the 15th times? century. Yeah, medieval time. That's one of the first extant pieces of written manuscript we have, music manuscript that we have in Ireland mm-hmm. and it's in Trinity College. Like we are talking about classical Irish music but you don't really like that tag or label, do it's you? It's not that I don't like it. It's more that I'm not sure it's necessarily helpful. I don't think it tells us anything, you know. Uh, like when I, when I think of classical music, I think of music written between probably 17, 16, 18, 20, which is kind of quite a narrow space. Mm-hmm. And after that, things get kind of a bit more romantic and then you get into 20th century music and it kind of changes. But then even in even in classical music, you've got music written in what I would call the classic times at the end of the last few decades of the 18th century. And the music written in England is very different to the music written in Italy, which is very different to the music written in northern Germany. So you don't, I don't think the classical, like, I know it's a catch-all term, but I don't think you learn a huge amount from that term on its own. OK, so you brought in the other Europeans there and they were a big influence, weren't they, Aideen, on, on what was happening here and what was being written and produced here? Yeah, this is it, because we're looking at really who is visiting Ireland in terms of influencing us. And I suppose the, the big example is Handel, who we're very proud of the fact that he premiered the Messiah in Dublin back in 1742. So it's interesting to see who's visiting. Big names are visiting. Liszt is visiting. Paganini is visiting around this time. But it is a about that you you can't make it as an Irish composer here. You have to get out of the country. And one of the people who did was was John Field, um, really an, an amazing composer. He left Dublin with his family in 1793. He was just 11, but we know he visited Vienna and Paris. He ended up in St. Petersburg. And the, the big thing about John Field was that he pretty much was the father and the inventor of the nocturne. Now, most people would associate Chopin with the nocturne. We're but John Field, as we're hearing here, this is his gorgeous um, nocturne number five in B flat. He wrote 18 and he was about halfway through his by the time Chopin kind of caught up on the nocturne. So it's it's a very proud fact for us and he influenced, you know, Brahms, Schumann, Liszt as well. So a very important figure, but he had to, to leave to make his mark. But boy, did he make his mark. Let's have a listen. So he's only 11 when he left, but we'll still yeah. claim him. We'll, we'll, we'll still, still keep him. him. And it's not just the most, I mean, we're all calm in the studio <laughs> know, all of a sudden. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> now what about people who went the other way, David, then? People who, yeah. who a European composer you've chosen now who came here. Who came here. So the traffic is not one direction. Mm. Uh, to use a phrase, there might be a size with some some other <laughs> musical group. Um, they, um, yeah, I, I picked a piece by Giminiani, Italian composer, uh, born in Lucca 
1687, came to Dublin in 1733, opened his own kind of concert hall on Dame Street. He was really? only here a very small amount of time and he opened his own concert hall on Dame Street. He also sold art. He was an art dealer, amateur art, art dealer as well. Uh, he, when he was born in Lucca, he moved to Rome and Milan before going to London for a while and then came to Dublin. And he stayed in Dublin and was seen as the probably the best violinist of his day. Wrote a treatise in 1751 on how to play the violin. Was a very successful composer and I think art dealer and also violinist. And I think it says a lot about Dublin at the time because Dublin at the time in the 1730s and 40s would have been in the top 10 populated cities in Europe. I think it was seventh at the time in Europe. Mm-hmm. And the affluence of a, of, a, of a composer coming from Italy to come to Dublin setting up his own concert hall giving concerts, selling art. And be, it shows a little bit about the affluence that was here in Dublin at the time. Uh, and he he died here in 1762, was buried here, and his remains were reinterred back to Italy in the 1920s. And do we know why he chose Dublin as his home? Well, I think Dublin at the time would have been, in, in the 1730s, would have been the second city of the empire. So London was a place where, I mean, it was talk that Mozart would go to London. He never, he never made it to London, but Haydn went to London in the 1790s on two different visits. So London was a place that most composers in Europe would have been aware of in the 18th century. And if you were in London, sure, it was only, only a short hop mm-hmm. to Dublin. And, and Aidan mentions Handel earlier on mm-hmm. there, who gave, his Messiah was premiered only nine years after Giminiani came to Dublin. But there's Handel as a German composer who was in many ways claimed by the English in the 18th century. He was seen as being very, as, as much English as he was German. But who wrote in terms of his style, he would have been seen as written in the Italian style, writing in the Italian style because it was different styles mm. in, the, in the 18th century. Well, so let's say Gemini came to Dublin for the crack. For the crack. The crack. Yeah, well, we, we, think, we, we also think that Gemini met the blind harper Thurlock O'Carolan and that we know there's correspondence between both, both composers. Ah. And O'Carolan's concerto is influenced by the concerto grosso, which was an Italian Baroque construct and we're going to hear some of Corelli's or, or Gimignani's music now from one of his concerto grossos which I'm not saying this piece influenced Thorlaco Caroline but the idea of the Italian concerto grosso fed into the piece we now know as Caroline's concerto. Let's hear some of that. I want to go to his concert hall on Dame Street now. Yeah. <laughs> you can just hear that now on Dame Street in the 1730s, yeah. So operatic composing then, Aideen, how did it develop in our Yeah, Ireland? I guess as David was saying there, it's a case of we're going to London or we're going to Europe. So we, we've we've two uh, Irish composers who premiered, you know, big operas at the time in London. Uh, William Vincent Wallace, his most famous opera was Maritana. So that's 1845. And then around the same time, The Bohemian Girl. Now you mentioned I Dreamt I Dwelt in Marble Halls. Yeah. That's where that comes from. And that's by opera, uh, by Dublin composer Michael Balfe. So again, they have to move to, to make it. They're going to London. But we possibly have to bring it up to today an opera. If you think of it now, Wexford Festival Opera is huge. People are coming from around the world to Wexford. We have a National Opera House. We have uh, a brilliantly funded National Opera Company. So it's a very different scene now. We have the venues, we have the orchestras. So it, it takes a long time to get there. And and the other just opera composer in terms of a contemporary composer I wanted to mention was Donica Dennehy, who is famous as the director of the Crash Ensemble. But he started writing really interesting, more contemporary operas in, in 2015. I, I kind of love who he collaborates with. So with this um, opera, uh, He's, he's 
he's with Enda Walsh, the, the playwright of the Walworth Farce and Bally Turk and Disco Pigs. And this was the last hotel and 18 minute chamber work. He went on to work on uh, operas The Hunger, the second violin as the first child. But always with Danica Denny, it's who he's collaborating with and that affects the sound. So we then have him collaborating with Shano singer Earlo Leonard on a beautiful piece, Grogus Boss. And there's a very Irish sound coming in. And the piece I brought in um, is He Wishes His Beloved Were Dead. It's from a song cycle that the night come. It's a setting of six poems by W.B. Yeats. But now he's working with an American soprano, Dawn Upshaw. And we'll take a little maybe listen to that. Well, that's really enjoyable. But last night when I was looking uh, through all of this, and I said, oh, I'll have a listen to Crash Ensemble. And I put on this thing called Bad Trip. Do you know it? <laughs> yeah, I've heard it. Yeah, I have heard it. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's like an assault on the ears. Everything crashing and banging and scary things projected onto screens. So that's lovely. The piece we just heard. I, I just I thought I'd bring that this morning. It's yeah, a little no, too early. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know these guys really well, do you? I'm actually on the board of Crash Ensemble. Ah, uh, so and I've worked for Crash Ensemble for years. And uh, I mean, Crash Ensemble, they're, I mean, such a versatile group. We're so blessed to have a versatile group. And also they travel overseas. They're seen internationally now as one of the leading modern music ensembles. Uh, and when we listen to some of the music we're playing this morning, we just hear how music has changed so much over the past couple of centuries. It actually mirrors literature and visual art as well. If you look at like Picasso's Cubist works and you look at even our own, uh, how language changed uh, with, let's say, Ulysses by James Joyce, you know, Mm -hmm. music goes the same way. And so things that we thought were, you know, pleasing years ago, maybe are are not so pleasing now, or maybe things that are very dissonant 50 years ago are not so dissonant now, we're kind of used to it now, you know, so... Taste change in the same way. And artists are always pushing the frontier and Crash Ensemble are certainly one of those ensembles that push the frontier. Absolutely. And you you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, there are those writing now that it's very way out. There are those that are writing in a very traditional sense. And I think the Irish sound is is, is interesting. You know, mentioning Yeats there, you know, uh, we're, I was watching Michael Collins the other night thinking about that whole time between 1916 and gaining our independence in 1922 and the Irish literary revival was happening so our writers you know Yeats and, and, and Singh and Sean O'Casey were writing and finding an Irish identity but our, our composers were as well and there's a real Irishness that comes in we're very proud of our language again we're trying to find the Irish sound and it's when people like Sean O'Reilly start writing um, you know we've, we've Misha Eyre maybe being the prime example but this Irish sound is, is is very much coming in because we, we want to own it and we want to create mm-hmm. There's the a sound. pride in celebrating yeah, it again. Exactly. And but I also, mean, yeah, exactly. Sorry, sorry, yeah. just but also like the notion that artists were at the forefront in in, in envisaging a new Ireland yeah. when you think about over a hundred over hundred years ago. And that sense of revolutionary spirit I think is very central to Irish artists across all genres and all disciplines today. Okay, well our next clip now we're gonna bring it right up well, right up ish. We're going to the nineteen nineties. Let's have a listen. So you're listening to Mihola Sulawans Woodbrook, composed in 1992. That sounds Irish. It does, it? doesn't it? And it, it, it's it's interesting to work out why it does. There's a, a lilting factor there, but I think one of the big things is the ornamentation. I mean, the tune he is writing is da 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 da, but ornamentation adds a few notes. It's da 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 da. You know, he's adding notes and he's he's giving it this lovely traditional ornamentation, but yet it's it's classical and and it moves on to Bill Wheel and kind of doing the same thing. It's unmistakably Irish. I mean, you've worked with them both. Yeah, luckily, I mean, listen to Michal uh, play there. I kind of really miss him and I can kind of see him almost. Yeah. With the piano beside me when I used to work with him and the and the RT concert orchestra, uh, and it's interesting. Michal himself was like he he wrote a piece called Jiminy Annie Walks, 
which was about Gimignani and he uses La Folia which was the tune we heard in the Concerto Grossa we played a, f- a few minutes ago from mm-hmm. Gimignani so here was another man who was very rooted in Ireland and saw could see the music as being parochial and both international at the same time which I think is a real gift. I think a lot of composers do that. They draw, they draw from the well that's down the road from where they grew up, where they're from, but they also look overseas and they draw influences from all over the world. I mean, if we think musical music is an international language, composers and musicians are international people and, and Michal O'Sullivan is no different. Mm. John Kinsler then, we're going to hear from John Kinsler who died in 2021. Yeah, I just picked this because it kind of ties a little bit in with the, the John Field Nocturne because this is a nocturne except not written for piano and it's written for string orchestra and this is the Irish Chamber Orchestra playing John Kinsler's Nocturne for Strings. So when we listen to Michal O'Sullivan, you could say that's that's Irish. It's got very strong Irish influence. Not so with John Kinsler's piece. It would be would it be yeah. harder to say that's from a, an Don't Irish? No, it kind of there is a for me there is a loss of Irishness of what I can get it. And it's more it's what Aideen says. I agree with her. It's the, it's the ornamentation. Feels to me like kind of like a, a stately dance. Not as obvious. Maybe, but not as there, obvious yeah, in terms yeah. of to how the, the untrained ear over here. But I, I definitely get a sense of Irish. Maybe just because I knew John and was yeah. lucky enough to work with him. He's such a lovely guy, great guy, and a, and a man who looked to Ireland for influence, but then looked overseas throughout the mm-hmm. uh, the twentieth century. Because we've been talking about men the whole way through this, Aideen, David. Now you'll have to step out for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Bring us a, the few, women are there, a few names of the women. A couple composers. to mention, Claire. I mean, there's Joan Trimble, a fantastic Irish composer and pianist, and a skill and born. Um, so 1915 to the year 2000 are her dates. She studied with John F. Larsha here. She moved to, to London, studied in the Royal College of Music. And um, again, there's this beautiful mix of Irishness at times it's very obvious she set um, Irish folk songs to music but then her, her fantasy for piano trio written in 1940 is lovely um, and interestingly she is influenced by the likes of an English composer Vaughan Williams over there as is Ina Boyle another brilliant uh, very prolific Irish composer her dates are 1889 to 1967 she was based in Enniskerry in County Wicklow but she would she would scoot over to London just now and again um, and was, was taught again by um, Vaughan Williams and Oh, I mean, she she wrote so much choral chamber, orchestral and opera, vocal, sadly not hugely played within her own lifespan. Um, and she, she kind of wanted to stay in Wicklow. She didn't want to move because she was looking after her family here. Do you but think that that restricted her a little bit? It, it probably did. It was her own choice to stay mm-hmm. here. But she she is, is now played a lot. She has been dubbed as the most prolific and significant female composer from Ireland before 1950. And the piece of hers I, I, I brought was her Sam for cello and orchestra. And we've been playing a lot of Irish musicians today, but it's interesting to look at this because this piece was composed in 1927 by Ina Boyle. And this recording is by the BBC Concert Orchestra and a young Franco-Swiss cellist, uh, Nadege Rocha. So we have, in in a way, an obscure Irish composer, but, but boy, people are listening and wanting to record her music now, which is great. So that's the second move of the Irish Isles suite, the Blasket Islands. Can you listen to that and not be critical? Uh, yeah, I actually, I didn't put the headphones on for anything else, but I put the headphones on Why? for that. Yeah, I don't know. It was just suddenly you can listen back and you're going to go, God, yeah, that come all the way back that we recorded that last March. And, mm. uh, and it's the music of Alvin McDonough, the great Alvin McDonough. 
who's uh, a cellist, but who's, you know yeah. she's now composing, which is brilliant. And and there, you know there are so many women now, like harpist Anne Maria Farrell is also yes. composing and really beautiful works. And I mean the scene is thriving. I'm sure when we finished, you'll be getting texts. But you didn't mention, and you didn't mention, and you didn't mention. I mean, good because that's Ian what Renoon, we want to see. Linda, Linda Buckley, there's Colm O'Fallow, there's Deirdre Gribbon, there's Jennifer Walsh. I could go on and on. It's it's a thriving. So scene. we've gone from in the early days, people needed to go away. Now they almost can stay and and thrive perhaps in a more, dare I say, successful way than if they left our shores. That's what, that's what we'd hope anyway. Yeah, well, you, it's, it's kind of, I think with the advent of the internet and technology, you can write music at home, it can be recorded at home and everyone can hear it, put up online, everyone across the world can hear it. You had to travel years ago, but in many ways the travelling is done in your head now. You listen to the music, you can travel to Ireland, travel to any country, listen to the music, it's there. And as as Aideen says about Alva, she has what would be really called a portfolio career where she, you know, she writes music, composes music, she gets her music published by great publishers, but she's also a fantastic cellist, one of the best cellists we have in the mm. country, you know. And these are the people who drive music and, you know, we need them into the future. And uh, to listen to Alva's music there, it's just it's great to pleasure. hear that yeah, back. Yeah, it's fantastic. We all feel now like we've taken a deep breath. <laughs> yes. Nice and relaxed. Thank you so much for coming Thanks, in. Pleasure, Lovely Claire. to have you Thank with you. us. Thanks, Claire. David Brophy and Aideen Gormley. Let's take a break. Text 51551. Today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1.